So I'll do a little review before we start the camera. Uh, make sure you're all up to speed because we went halfway through or two-thirds of the way through last week on the covenants. And so the word hermeneutics is a word that means the science or the rules of interpreting the Bible. It's just general communication. So one of the rules I have interpreting my wife is that she never starts at the beginning. She always starts in the middle or the end and works both ways or from the back forward. So when I get that in my head, then I can understand what she's saying. So you have to get the rules figured out of communication or hermeneutics. And so uh, uh, and there's several others. One, another one is she, she doesn't use anything but pronouns, never uses a proper name. So if there's six people involved in the story, I have to guess who she's talking about. And uh, so, but again, that's just hermeneutics. You just know the rules of interpretation. So in the Bible, one of the rules, basic rules of hermeneutics, is who is what, was, what is written, written to. That's the first question you ask whenever you read any portion in the Bible. Who was it written to? Because you won't understand what is being uh, meant by what is being written until you ask and answer that question accurately. A lot of people read books in the Bible. They never ask the question, who's it written to? Uh, and what's motivating it? If you don't uh, do some real careful hermeneutics, you'll come up with some strange theology reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And so you understand some principles. What was the uh, spiritual condition of the person who wrote it? What was their motive for writing it? Who did they write it to? Uh, those are questions before you can understand what's being said. And if you don't do good hermeneutics, you'll come up with all kinds of strange doctrines. Uh, what book in the Bible, you've heard me say this before, but what book in the Bible are more false teaching out of than any other book in the Bible? Book of Acts. And the reason is because the book of Acts begins with the whole, everybody in the story are all Jews. Begins with the day of Pentecost, basically. Day of Pentecost is what kind of holiday? Jewish holiday. The people who repent at Peter's preaching are all Jews because they're there at the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. It was a big day, a big deal. And so um, you have the initial book of Acts. Paul's not in it. And then he jumps into the story as a persecutor of Christians because he's a really devout Jew. He has a major experience on the way to Damascus to persecute believers, he becomes a key apostle. And when he goes into a city, the first audience, the first people he goes to see are the Jews. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the places of prayer. He is a Jew. So he goes to the Jews. And what do they do? They reject his, 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 uh, the gospel. And so he goes to the Gentiles. So as you go through the book of Acts, you have two wedges. This is a wedge that is big fat on the left side, down to nothing on the right side, that's the top. The bottom is a little skinny on the, on the bottom and then big fat on the right. And the wedge that's big fat on the beginning is Jews, and the bottom one is Gentiles. You go through the book of Acts, you have a transition taking place between Jews and Gentiles and who is being dealt with. When we get to the end of the book of Acts, the audience is 100% Gentiles. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the audience is 100% Jews. 
If you don't address that issue as you go through the book of Acts, you'll come up with some really strange doctrine. Uh, it's just a basic question that you ask. So the second most uh, messed up book in the Bible, not messed up by the Bible, but by the people who read it and teach it. Book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. So uh, it's important that we ask some questions. And so one of the major questions in the book is the audience and also uh, where we're at. And so one of the themes in the Bible is the theme of covenants. That's an official agreement between God and a group of people. It's a contract uh, that he makes with, with a group of people. And that's a definite group of individuals and a definite agreement with a beginning and an ending point. And as you go through the Bible, you can study the various covenants that exist. I gave this to you last week, so I won't go back and repeat those. But uh, you have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant running together. In the beginning uh, of the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the Jews were under the Old Covenant. Uh, the Gentiles are under the New Covenant, as well as those Jews who become believers. And so there's a major overlap uh, in, in, portion, in certain books of the Bible of these two covenants. And if you don't keep that straight, those two covenants, you'll end up with some, um, you'll be coming up with theology from the old covenant living in the new covenant. And uh, that doesn't work, but there's lots of people who do that today. So the old covenant was given to Moses. And he gave it to the nation of Israel. Every covenant has a spokesperson. The one who receives the law from God gives it to the people. So the major spokesperson of the old covenant was Moses. That's why it's called the Mosaic Covenant. He's the one who went up on the mountain twice, fasted 40 days, 40 nights. Whew, that was a high price to pay to be the, the man then. But uh, he got the law, gave it to the people. And so the law is uh, written the book of Leviticus, repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, just a trivia question. When Jesus quotes uh, scripture to the devil, where does he quote it from? Huh? Deuteronomy. Every one of the verses he quotes from Deuteronomy. Why? All Jewish kids memorized the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, that was the normal thing to do. The uh, book of Deuteronomy was preached by, this was after, later on, but uh, it was a series of sermons preached by Moses. God said, Moses, you're not going into the promised land because you struck the rock twice. And so just before they do and he dies, he preaches to them. It's the book of Deuteronomy. And he restates all that he had already written and he gives it to him in a verbal form as a, as a collection of sermons. Why it's quite a bit more readable than the book of Leviticus is uh, because it's a little bit more practical. But so Deuteronomy was a uh, book that uh, traditionally uh, Jewish kids all memorized by the time they were 12. And so it gave them the law, uh, the standards, the rules by how you lived your life. So it was there. And so when he quotes it, he quotes it word perfect because that's what that's what Jewish kids did, especially boys. So Old Covenant, Nation of Israel, and every covenant had a sign, a symbol that reminded them of the covenant. The rainbow was the Noahic covenant. Uh, 
Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant was, the, uh, was circumcision. The uh, Mosaic covenant was the Sabbath. Okay, seven times, if you want to do a little study, you'll see seven times it says that the Sabbath is the sign of the agreement between Israel and God for the new covenant. And so every, t- every week when they celebrated and did all that was required on the Sabbath, that was a reminder of the covenant that God had made with them and how they were to live their life accordingly. That's why it was such a big deal to them. Uh, when you get to Jesus and they kept uh, being critical of Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath, did this on the Sabbath. Sabbath was a big deal. You talk all the laws, that was the, the one that represented, that was the uh, symbol of all of them. And so it was a really big deal that they keep that Sabbath because of the fact that it was a symbol or a, a sign between them and God that indeed they were the chosen people. So we get to the new covenant and Jesus declares what the symbol is for the new covenant. Communion. He says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. And then Paul restates it in 1 Corinthians 11. And he restates it uh, as a church principle. He said, I received this directly from God uh, as a revelation from him about taking communion. So every time we take communion, it's a symbol of the new covenant. So every covenant had a particular high point or major emphasis uh, that was in it. What was the major emphasis of the new covenant? Holy Spirit in us. Okay. No other time period in all of the history of mankind was there a time when God lived in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. That was never true before. There were times when certain individuals were overcome by the Spirit of God. David uh, uh, you know, killed a, the lion, and, and Samson was uh, said filled with the Spirit when he killed a bunch of Ferris, uh, Sag- uh, Philistines, <laughs> whatever they were. And so you'll see those stages where that, the Spirit came on them, but it was a temporary thing for a particular task that they were given. But now, the day we're saved, we are the, the temple of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells us the moment of salvation and lives in us, gives us power. Uh, there are all kinds of benefits or results or uh, things that the Spirit does in us because he lives in us. That is distinct, a distinction of the new covenant that we are in. The new covenant also is called the church, the bride of Christ. It's prophesied first in Jeremiah 31 and 32 and then brought up by Jesus. And then the main book that talks about it is the book of Hebrews talked about more about than the Hebrews than any other book. Okay, so with all that as review, we'll move on to number 16 in your notes. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds the Jewish believers that they are now under the new covenant, which is better than the old covenant. So I don't know if they ever got in debates about the covenants and would have said, you know, I think it would have been cool to have lived under the Abrahamic covenant instead of the Mosaic covenant. Or man, wouldn't it have been nice to have lived under the Noahic covenant because they only had seven laws total. And look at all that we have. I don't know if any discussion came up about that, but the writer of the Hebrews uh, makes a very, very bold statement and probably one that with some of the Jews might have been a bit offensive because he words it quite strongly. I'm going to read it. It's a fairly long passage in Hebrews 8. 
He said, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Now, this is speaking of Jesus. He has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the medi- mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is the mediator or the giver, the founder of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant, and speaking of the Mosaic covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. That's the Mosaic covenant, the one that's written in the book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to disappear. So as you read the New Covenant, one of the things that you'll observe is that there's some aspects of it that we don't presently uh, have or experience. We teach, and it says here that they won't teach. So the fulfillment of the Second Covenant is in the Millennial Kingdom. And so it's a covenant that has stages uh, that are adopted by stages. So Paul uh, references the New Covenant and says that he is introducing a mystery form or mystery part of it. And the mystery part of the new covenant that he gives is that the Gentiles are in. And he states that boldly, uh, that he received that right from God. And then he states some other aspects of the new covenant, which we'll we'll not get in because we're not studying those books, but uh, uh, they're easy to to look up and, uh, and to understand about the new covenant. So number 17 in your notes, Jesus is the human representative that received and gave the law of the new covenant. And so he is called the high priest. The high priest. Under the uh, old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the first covenant, who was the high priest? Moses was uh, sort of a partner in the deal. Levi, or Aaron, uh, the tribe of Levi. Aaron was uh, Moses' brother. He was the helper, but he became the official uh, first high priest. And so Aaron dies before he gets into the promised land as well. But Moses was the leader. He was the lawgiver. So it was called the Aaronic priesthood. Aaronic after Aaron. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways, Fathers being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the world. 18, when the covenant changed, the statutes, rules, and laws changed as well. Each covenant has its own set of rules. When they moved from the uh, Abrahamic covenant to the Mosaic covenant, there were a new set of rules moved from the Mosaic Covenant to the New Covenant, there was a new set of rules. 
Hebrews 7, 11 through 12. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus. We'll talk about Melchizedek in a later lesson. Not be designated according to the order of Aaron, for when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. Of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Uh, why would it be a necessity? Well, because that's one of the rules that God operated by. When you move from Noah, uh, Abraham, uh, Adam to Noah, the rules change. When you move from Noah to Abraham, the rules change. When you move to Abraham to Moses, the rules change. When the priest changes, the laws change. And so we move from the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the Levitical priesthood, uh, to Jesus being the high priest, and so he says, when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Hebrews seven eighteen. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. Can you imagine being a Jew reading that, that uh, writer of the Hebrews writes this? Because of its weakness and uselessness. I mean, they were really, really uh, focused on the law. They were law keepers. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, and then Paul, uh, some passages from Paul as he deals with this. It's probably one of the major promises, uh, problems that Paul dealt with as he dealt with the merging of Jews and Gentiles in a single church. Galatians 4, 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. So he's talking again, similar to the writer of the Hebrews, to Jews had been uh, converted to Christ. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was written about in the Old Testament, the coming Jewish king. And so they become believers. And then at some point, Hebrews, because of persecution, uh, but other reasons uh, in the book of Galatians, they turn back again their former way of worshiping and so Paul says basically why do you do that um, you desire to be enslaved all over again so one of the things that we see in the new covenant is that we have rules laws if you take and it's a I think I gave that assignment to you last week as a, if you're going to graduate from this class get an A in the class. Did you know I was giving you grades? Uh, the, the study you need to do is read Romans through Jude and every command, every imperative, write it down and then any that are similar, combine them or write it in a certain way and then come up with a list. Now, if you do that, and I've done that several times, uh, one of the things you'll see is that uh, standards and rules, but the Old Testament Mosaic laws was, uh, the emphasis was on ceremony. Lots of ceremonial laws. You read the book of Leviticus, you know how that functions. And the rules are pretty much don't, the Ten Commandments. Don't. In the New Testament, the laws are all mostly all relational. has to do with how I treat you, how you treat me. And the rules are mostly uh, do. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. And so it's stated in a positive way as opposed to the negative. And so there's much more of a, what you might call a grace element involved in the new covenant and the commands that are given. Though the commands are clear. 
and some of them are fairly strong and, and uh, emphatic in sense of consequence. But there's still there's a major shift there. And so Paul emphasizes that the old covenant, there was a slavery, as it were, in the sense of the rigidity and the, and the nature of the laws given. Romans 14, 5. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Uh, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes the day, d- observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God, and he who eats, does not, uh, eats not for the Lord. He does not eat and gives thanks to God. So how many dietary rules do you have in the new covenant? None. How many in the old covenant? A bazillion. Uh, so it was heavy on ceremony. Uh, clean foods, not clean foods. Uh, holidays, celebrations, uh, Passover, each of them had very, very detailed rules in how you follow and what you did in regards to those. So and Paul's dealing in Romans 14 with a super important principle. Uh, You have Jews in a church and you have Gentiles in a church and the Jews are following Old Testament dietary laws and and Old Testament uh, days of worship and you have Gentiles that are following none of them. And so it would be easy for the Gentiles to sort of say, nah, 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 I can eat pig and you can't. And, uh, and so Paul's real, real strong in this, uh, these passages in Romans where there's this overlap in practicing the character trait of deference. And deference basically says, if something I do offends you, I will not do it. If eating pork will offend you, I won't eat pork. If drinking wine will offend you, I will not drink wine. Uh, and so he really, really strongly urged the New Testament church to defer to one another in regards to the overlap of these laws and rules. And uh, so as not to, uh, to offend, he says, if you want to observe Wednesday, observe Wednesday. If you want to observe Saturday, observe Saturday, but don't give offense. Galatians 5. Now, this is probably the strongest statement that Paul makes in the New Testament in regards to this overlap. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That freedom is in regards to the law of the old covenant therefore keep standing firm do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery don't go back and live under the old covenant behold i paul say to you that if you receive circumcision christ will be of no benefit to you and i testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law you've been severed from christ you who are seeking to be justified by law you have fallen from grace For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. By the way, Paul's saying there, a key principle is that an individual who holds a view that's contrary to to the word and begins to push that can create a huge problem. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And so he is encouraging as much of anything as unity. Uh, he's not encouraging necessarily one view or not, but just to be unified to practice deference in your relationship with each other. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who di- is disturbing you will bear his judgment. One is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. 
Number 19, and you notice the Apostle Paul was the primary lawgiver and prophet for the church. So every group uh, during this uh, new covenant, you've got a, a stage there. Jesus is the high priest, but the Apostle Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He becomes the key lawgiver for the church. And he makes reference to that numerous times. Ephesians 3, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me, entrusted to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. And the word mystery means previously unrevealed truth. And so Paul has several mysteries that that he reveals. Uh, as the apostle of the Gentiles, having got this revelation directly from Jesus. He spends some time in the desert by himself with the Lord, and then he gets to go right up into heaven, into the third heaven, spend some time there. And while he was there, I'm sure he heard uh, key teaching that he comes back and he gives us in the epistles to the church. He said, There was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief by referring to this, then When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Paul is saying, I am uh, the person who has given this mystery. I'm the one who has received it. So now you can understand the stewardship of this grace, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Galatians 1.11, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, I got what I'm giving you right straight from Jesus. Number 20, some will teach that because today we are now under the new covenant that there are no rules, statutes, and laws, that our conscience is our law. So that is becoming increasingly more prevalent. And... um, those individuals who believe and teach that often will send me emails and have conversations with me because I uh, am a fairly um, rule-oriented, not rule in the sense of uh, commandments, but principles, standards, systems. Um, I have words like milk the cows. That means you do certain things every day, every day, every day, every day because you're supposed to. So those who, who have this emphasis uh, really move totally the other way in that we don't have any rules. I know what's right because it's in my conscience. And so I'll do what I feel is right. You do what you feel is right uh, because God has given it to us in our conscience and we no longer have an external set of rules. And uh, that's, a, like I say, that's a really growing, strong Uh, teaching that exists nowadays and they get that from Hebrews and from other passages but Hebrews 8 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my laws into their minds I will write them on their hearts I will be their God they shall be my people they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen everyone his brother saying know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them so they shall not teach so why would I need to teach you? Because you already know it. God has put it in you. And uh, 
I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people, and everybody will know what's the right thing to do. And so we will do away with pastors and rules and laws, and everybody uh, just does what's right according to their own spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7 is another passage that's referred to. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. New covenant, not of the letter. Not of the letter, that means anything that would be written down, but of the spirit. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. So you have this pendulum deal. Over here you have the ones who want to stay under the old covenant and uh, so they don't eat pig and they emphasize certain holidays and celebrations. Uh, the ones that are really strong over here will uh, be careful to worship on Saturday as opposed to Sunday and uh, follow a, num- a number of other of those rules and principles. Then you have the pendulum that swings over here that says it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as you love one another, that's it. And God will reveal to you in your conscience what is his laws, what are his rules. And so I don't teach you, you don't teach me. We just do what's right because it's in our conscience. And uh, I suppose there might be a place where that works, but I've never witnessed it personally. Uh, and so it seems like the New Testament was written for a purpose. Uh, the book of Romans, book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, book of Hebrews, the book of Jude, book of James. And uh, they all have principles, guidelines, commands, rules that say, this is how you ought to live your life. And so we discover what they are and we follow them. And so what's being talked about in Hebrews 8, I will write them on their hearts, I will be their God, they shall be my people, is the fulfillment of the second covenant the new covenant which is in the millennial kingdom in the millennial kingdom when we get there now in 21 in your notes the new covenant begins in the church and continues and is fulfilled in the millennial kingdom The millennial kingdom is when Jesus comes and is on this earth and establishes his rule on the planet earth. We will rule with Christ. And, uh, and we've talked about the millennial kingdom. I'm not going into too much detail with it now, but it's on the earth and there will be John Deere tractors and there will be fishing and, uh, and people will build houses and there will be those who have children and there will be governments, and uh, much of like what we have now, except the ruler of the world will be perfect. It'll be Jesus. You won't have what you have in government now. And uh, nobody will lip off to King Jesus. And there won't be any votes on anything. What King Jesus says is the way it is. And so he is God, he is ruler, and it will be a great place to live. Jeremiah 32 is a description of the millennial kingdom and the fulfillment of the of the uh, new covenant behold i will gather them that's the nation of israel out of the all the lands to which i've driven them in my anger in my wrath and in great indignation i will bring them back to this place 
Make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way, and that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do, to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart, with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I'm going to bring on them all the good that I'm promising them. And so the question is, does that exist now? And the answer is obviously not if you read the news about the Middle East. But at some point, that will be the case. Israel will be in the promised land. They will live there in peace. And uh, things will be going cool. And that will happen when Jesus returns at the second coming of Christ. Number 22, the epistles are the source of the rules, laws, and principles for the church today. Romans begins with Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. For all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And so... This is a declaration on Paul's part. Uh, it's quite official sounding of who he is and what his role is. He said, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then Revelation 2.29, this is stated seven times. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Each of the seven letters, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, and then that's written to that church. And uh, he who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the Spirit speaks to the churches, the body, the bride of Christ. And the primary apostle to the churches is the apostle Paul, though Peter is and John is as well. But Paul is the key guy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that, you will, that we will study it, read it, and we will understand what your will is, and we will please you, serve you, follow you, be a fully devoted disciple of yours who brings great glory to you in all that we do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.